in one of what some say is the greatest or one of the greatest movies of all time. The lead character, who is played by Russell Crowe, the character's name is Maximus, the movie is Gladiator, and at one point in that movie, Maximus says this, brothers, what we do in this life echoes in eternity. If that's true, at the end of your life, what impact will you have made? What eternal impact will gives us some insights into what it takes to leave a lasting impression, not just on this life, but also to impact eternity? What we learn from Stephen, one of those original deacons, what we learn from him is not a life lesson that is limited to deacons, but it is an example for us not only of deacon impact and deacon leadership, but more specifically about what kind of life we should live if we intend to make a huge impact on this world and on eternity. He gives us four answers to that. All of them fit these two words. If you want to live a life that leaves a mark for the glory of God, be full. Acts chapter 6 I'm going to begin reading. We'll just read verses 5 through 8, even though you know that we're picking it up in the middle. We talked about some of these last week. So in Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, we read these words. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Four different ways to be full if you desire to leave a mark on this world. Here's the first one. It says in verse 5 that these men were full of, The word full means what you expect it to mean. It means of space that is fully occupied. Let me give you a little foresight to give you a, a, a visual of that word, to be full of something, to be fully occupied space. Think ahead to next Sunday morning and the restaurant you choose to take your mother to or to celebrate Mother's Day with somebody, by the time your long-winded preacher gets finished in the second service, those parking lots will be full. So you should talk to your pastor and see if you can get him to cut it down a little bit. (laughs) Or just come to the early service, whatever you choose. Full is easy to understand. Full of what requires a little explanation, I think. So the first thing that we find here, it says that Stephen and these others were full of faith. That's a word, faith, that is common to our church vocabulary. We use the word a lot, and we actually have our own ideas typically about what it is that we're saying. But one of the things that happens with the language we use, especially inside the church, is we start giving it kind of a a mental shorthand. 
And so we know the word faith, and so when we say it, we don't always pause and hover over it a little bit to see exactly what it is that we're talking about. There's two particular uses of this word that I think come to bear on what we're talking about here. If you're to live the life of a disciple, and all of us are called to do that as followers of Jesus Christ, then we need to nail down what it means when we talk about faith. Now, often we use it in the first sense to talk about the faith. It refers to a body of truth, a a body of information that we adopt as our own, and we say, okay, that is our truth. When I was in sixth grade, I happened to be in band, and I played, well, let's just say that I played way down at the end of all the other people who were playing. I was one of those last chair kind of guys, the strongest guys in the band, holding everybody else up because we were on the bottom. And it came time for solo and ensemble contest, and there's nothing more intimidating to a musician who's not really much of a musician than to go into a room by himself with a judge and play a song, and that's what they made me do. And I chose a song that fit my religious training. You may know the song, Faith of Our Fathers. I'd sing it for you, but I'm not the musician in the room here. So, Faith of our fathers living still. Usually when we talk about faith that way, we're talking about a body of information, a body of knowledge that we ascribe value to, that we call truth. And there's no doubt that that is a usage of this word that they're referring to when they talk about Stephen, a man full of faith. He certainly held on to the basic truths the advanced truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can say that with great confidence because by the time we finish Stephen's story in here in the book of Acts, we'll find that he gives his life on behalf of that faith. It is a body of information, a body of knowledge. But that's not a complete version of the biblical use of this particular term. New Testament faith, we might also say, and I'll quote this from someone else, a conviction or a belief regarding man's relationship to God and divine things, generally with the inclusion of the idea of trust. So this is a step removed. This this is maybe, we might even say that this is a step further in believing the faith or holding the faith. This is one of those points of reference in our life where we default into an attitude of trust in that information, that body of truth. More specifically, in God himself who undergirds that truth. The classic example that preachers have used for decades and decades is the idea of a chair. I'll put it in the terms of a pew. You, when you came in here, decided that there's this body of information that says to you that that pew is trustworthy. You know when you come in here, except maybe those who are standing up, you know that the reason we have pews in here is so that you might sit on them. That's just a general truth that you hold on to, right? Right. But there comes a point, if you're going to take advantage of that pew, that you have to decide, I'm going to trust myself 
to that truth. In other words, I'm going to give up control long enough to get down into that pew. Now, unless you hold on for every little piece of that journey, somewhere in the process, gravity takes over and you release yourself and you fall into that pew. Now, some of us fall this far because we're holding on all the way to make sure that, you know, we don't have a major catastrophe. But others in us, and used to have this with my kids all the time, and our couches at the house, they come running and jump through the air and miraculously land on the chair. The point is that somewhere in there you lose control and you trust yourself to the information that that pew will hold you up. That's not the same as believing generally that it worked. That's where you put yourself on the line for it. It's one thing, and it's pretty easy and not all that threatening to talk about trusting yourself and your body weight to a chair. But trusting your soul to eternity is a little different thing for us. Trusting your life to the Savior, especially in a situation like Stephen will find himself in shortly here where his whole existence is on the line with a group of people who don't believe the truth, the faith that he does. And yet he gives himself into that and he trusts his life into that. That's a picture of biblical faith as it works together from both ideas of that. I have a little plaque that's in my, it's, it's, it's a decor. It's not like a plaque plaque. It's just like a piece of decor that I, I got from my mother years ago. It says simply this, fear knocked at the door, faith answered, there was no one there. Now, unless you have been through trying times and trials in your life that threatened your faith or threatened your existence, you may not fully understand the depth of that little simple saying. We, all of us, at various times in our life, come up against circumstances and situations where we are on the line. And it's so out of our control that fear begins to well up in us. And the faith that we're talking about here, that body of knowledge that says, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. I believe him when he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I believe him when he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. All of those things we can in church say, I believe it. But when your life is on the line, the question is, can you trust it? Stephen was full of faith, and that pushes us to a point of reference, I think, that ties us in to this idea of being full and making an impact on our world. I'm going to suggest to you that the difference between those two definitions or applications of the word faith is something like the difference between kindergarten math and college algebra. I have kindergarten math down pat. I mean, I can do pluses and minuses. I can even use the right terms, addition and subtraction. I I can do simple math. But if you put an algebra equation in front of me, I'm not even going to try because I never figured out what X is supposed to represent anyway. 
By the same token, our churches are full of people who get kindergarten spirituality down pat. That's the, that's the, the faith. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that the Bible is the holy word of God, inerrant, infallible, whatever term you want to put on that. I believe those things, and we can go through all of our different doctrinal points and all of those things, and we can say, I believe it. That's simple spirituality, simple discipleship. As a body of knowledge, I believe it. But to be able to take those things and apply them in to the problem areas of life and the victory areas of life, to be able to take the faith and translate it into living faith is a little bit more like algebraic spirituality. Some of us, at some point in our lives, grew tired of just the basics. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've gone to church for a long time. And the basics, you know, you, you listen and you hear the same things over and over. And, you know, it's, it's on, like, almost like it's on a repeat cycle. And we hear the same basic content at church all the time. And at some point, some of us go, you know, I, I need more than just simple addition. I would suggest to you that being full of faith requires a step forward, requires a commitment to say, I'm going to move beyond the simple and into the complex of the Christian life. We have a famous piece of literature in church circles. It's actually called Experiencing God. Henry Blackaby, I think, is the one who wrote that, and many of us, maybe most of you, have been through the study that's called Experiencing God. I came across some studies long before Experiencing God was ever promoted. It was by a guy named Manly Beasley, and I've mentioned him in here before. But I learned some things from his teaching that helped me to move beyond at a time that I desperately needed it. I was even considering just walking away, and God said, there is more. And so God took me to a place and helped me to understand how pervasive is the choice that says, I will live by faith. At the root of all of this is a lifestyle of seeking God's specific input, getting God's specific input, and then living by his specific input for your specific situation. Let me play that out quickly and we'll move on. When Teresa and I were ready to move, we knew God was telling us to move where we were in South Texas to go to Hobbs, New Mexico. A church had called us to be their youth minister there. And so we began the process of uh, while we were there after the view of a call, we stayed two days to find a house. At the end of two days, could not find a house. I mean, couldn't find a house any house. And so, the part of me that is, you know, the, <laughs> the, the planner and the need to have a plan, need to execute the plan, needs to be strategic, it needs to move us down the field, uh, that part of me, when we left town without a house, that part of me was screaming, oh God, what are you doing? We know that you told us to go, and we also know that your word says and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Now, that is an incredible promise. Speaking of living by faith, 
And so we knew those things, but I also knew I was leaving town and had already committed to show up two weeks later to start a new position on staff there, and I had nowhere to live, nor did my family. I had three children. I still have three children, but in those days, they were little. In those days, they were little. They loved to eat, those kids did. Their mama had something about them living inside of a house instead of in a tent somewhere. And so, as we drove out of town, I kept replaying that verse, and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And I had to talk God into this. You know how that goes, right? God you know, this is really a need. This is not just something I want. I mean, I really do need a place for these people to live. Nothing. It was like nothing. And a day, and then two days, and then a week passed. I'd already made arrangements with the moving company to move our stuff. That's a great conversation when you say to a moving company, load all my stuff on a truck, and I don't know where you're going to deliver it yet. Somewhere in the process of that, Teresa had been praying about it, and she said, you know, God, I, I really believe that you want us to do this, but I really, we had a particular dog, and she said, I really would like to have a house that has a six-foot fence. And I'm thinking, fence, we just need a house. <laughs> and she was, she's kind of hard-headed about some of those things, and so she just kept saying, I, I believe God's going to give us a house with a six-foot fence. About four days before we were supposed to load everything up, I got a call from one of the men of that church, and he said, we think we found you a house. I said, we'll take it. <laughs> and he said, well, no, no, wait a minute, let me talk about it. I said, no, I don't need to wait about it. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting ready to be homeless in the worst kind of way. And she was there with me, and she said, she said, ask him if it has a six-foot fence. I'm not asking that. <laughs> I just want a place to live. And the guy started talking about the house, sat in the middle of about five acres. And he said, oh, by the way, it's got a cinder block fence around it. And she perked up. And he said, I said, how tall is that fence? He said, it's six foot. Teresa said, we'll take it. <laughs> you see the difference between believing generally in a body of information and taking the specific input of God on your specific situation, full of faith. Now that word full means a lot more, doesn't it? Is there any place in your life, any situation in your life today where your faith is a little less than full? You're facing something down today <laughs> where you need God to come through for you? So is it full or is it sort of full? If you want to make an impact on this world, be full of faith. There's another one that we find here. And that one is, it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit. This is verse 5 also. Now, we all know that this is not a new concept in Scripture, this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit, um, or actually full of the Holy Spirit, and now the preposition matters. 
Because we can go through Scripture and we can find a number of places, and I'm not, I'm, I don't want you to turn there right now. I can give you the references later if you want me to do that. But uh, we can go to any number of passages of Scripture where we find that someone is full or is filled with the Holy Spirit. The preposition is with. For instance, in Exodus 31, uh, you go back and check verses 3 and 31 there. Luke chapter 1, verse 15, as it relates to John the Baptist and the prophecy about his birth, birth filled with the Spirit. Luke 1, 41, uh, where it's talked about, talking about of Elizabeth when she sees Mary and she's filled with the Holy Spirit. And Luke 1, 67, where it refers to Zechariah being filled with the Holy Spirit. Or Acts chapter 2, verse 4, at Pentecost. Or Acts chapter 4, verse 8, where Simon Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. But when we talk about full of the Holy Spirit, it's a little different. And I don't have time to go in and deal with all of the intricacies between that. But for today, let's just talk about what it says in this passage, verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. That's used in Luke chapter 4, verse 1 of Jesus himself. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was driven out into the wilderness to be tempted. And we find it here. I'm hoping that you're beginning to make the connection for me of the impact that a deacon has on the body of Christ. But I also would want you to know that these things are not limited to deacons. Deacons just happen to be the transformational leaders who model these things for the rest of us as the goal to move us into that approach, full of the Holy Spirit. And in every situation where it's used this way, there is a significant impact on the people involved. So we probably need to pause for just a moment and clarify some fairly modern misconceptions about this. There have been those who have taken this idea of being full of the Holy Spirit, and they have, I think, twisted it and made it say something that Scripture does not either imply nor teach. And that is, here's the clarification I want you to get. When you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you get all of the Holy Spirit you ever get. You don't need more of him. There's not some kind of a second blessing out there that you need where the Holy Spirit says, okay, I can trust you with a little bit more of me. That's not how it works. It's not what Scripture teaches So when we come to this full of the Holy Spirit, we need to kind of recognize that some of those other, what I would consider to be abuses, or at least leaning towards abuses, some of them, uh, they just don't meet the test of Scripture. My my cousin who lives in Huntsville, Texas, uh, he's the oldest of all of the cousins on my mom's side of the family, and so he was always kind of the guy we looked up to. Uh, But when my parents moved to Huntsville, I went out there once and uh, on, on vacation. And uh, Frank Dura said to me, hey, man, are you going to go to church while you're out here? I said, well, I wasn't planning on it since I work at a church and I have to be back on Sunday. And he said, oh, I was hoping you could go. I'd take you out to this church we have out on the edge of town. He called it by name. I said, why would I want to go there? He says, man, he said, they, they run a track meet for Jesus every week. I said, well, why would I want to go there? He said, no, seriously, if you go to that church, you need to wear your running shoes. I said, why is that? He said, because when they start 
the worship service, people just start running laps around the auditorium. He said, it's a crazy sight. I said, I'm not going out there to run at church. He said, well, you would if you went to church there. And I said, I'll go back to South Texas. Thank you very much. But part of their theology was that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you just can't resist it and you just start running. I don't find that in Scripture. So I'm going to let that just sit where it is, but I'll tell you this, that underscores one of those realities that we need to make sure we get the clarification. Being full of the Holy Spirit is not a measure of how much of Him you have. Being full of the Holy Spirit is a measure of how much you, He has. So are you full of the Holy Spirit? Does the Holy Spirit have free reign in your life? How much of you does he have? Full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, we find of this Stephen that he's also full of grace. You know what a grace builder is? I was working a church in the panhandle. And we had this guy come in. I may have mentioned this to some of you before, but uh, we had this guy come in to do a, a revival at First Baptist Church of Halfway. And he came in, and he was one of the big shot Baptists in the state of Texas. And he came in and began to, you know, preach. And it was a great week or so of revival. But what I enjoyed the most was going to some of those farmers' homes uh, before the worship services in the evening, having dinner with them and with the team that was there to do the revival for us. And, and I learned a lot from this guy in those meetings. But in one of those meetings, he was talking about people in the church, in his church where he was pastor, people who, who gave him a hard time. I mean, and I don't mean like good-natured hard time. He said that they were trying to kill me is what they were trying to do. And uh, my pastor at the time had been going through a little bit of that, and he said, so, so how do you deal with that? He said, well, first of all, it all matters how you see those people, those people in your life that really challenge your spirituality, he says, I call them grace builders. And I was just a college, uh, college Bible student. I had no idea what he meant. So I asked him, and he said, you know, those people are grace builders. He said, they're not ever going to be happy with anybody. If Jesus said he was coming back tomorrow, they wouldn't be happy about it. And he said, but those people build grace in me because I have to meet them at a level that they probably don't deserve. Full of grace. The New Testament term means a favorable attitude. And what is felt towards another, it is goodwill, if you will. See, sometimes it's hard to be full of grace because most of us would prefer to be full of justice. Full of grace. By its very nature, grace means that you give what they don't deserve. So how do you get there? Because we all have people like that in our lives. Whether it's in church or not, we all have people in our lives that kind of stretch us a little bit. That family member, that coworker, maybe it's a neighbor. How do you get to be full of grace? 
Well, if we were to go over and look in the book of Galatians, there's this little listing there called the fruit of the Spirit. And one of those fruit is grace. And so we give grace as we are full of the Holy Spirit, the byproduct, if you will. Lastly, and I'll close with this, it says that Stephen was full of power. That's verse 8 also. And he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Now, immediately, the question that comes to my mind is, is that doing great signs and wonders, is that something special with him, or is that supposed to be the norm of the Christian life? Good question. You know, before we came to El Paso, actually it was almost exactly two years ago now, we were enough in the stage of where we felt like, you know, this could possibly happen and uh, so Teresa and I had been for several months, we'd been devouring YouTube videos to try to figure out what was the, the heart and soul of El Paso. And so one of, the, one of the YouTube videos that I came across was one, I watched it over and over and over again. Uh, and it was out over here on the west side, not too far from Sunland Park, I think, and had this huge smokestack. Remember that? Was that a smokestack? What was that? Okay, I don't know what it was, but I loved watching it get blown up. Imploded that sucker. I mean, I thoroughly, I watched that over and over. I love to watch stuff get blown up like that. Now, that doesn't make me crazy or anything like that. I love the precision of that, the engineering that goes into it. But that moment when those electrical, I mean, those explosive charges go off, boom, 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 and the building collapses, or the, in this case, the smokestack goes down. I loved it. The operative element of those was this word. It's actually a Greek word from which we get our word dynamite. Stephen was full of dynamite. <laughs> and I love that. He makes an impact on his world. You want to make an impact on your world? You want to make an impact on eternity? Be full of Holy Spirit power. It's not something you can work up on your own. It's not like that. No matter how many times you go to the gym, this is not that word. This is the picture of someone who so rests and trusts in the faith that his faith lives itself out in such a way. And because it's not his own, it's what he gets from God himself. It is divine power as it flows through his life into the lives of those people who are around him. And so with that, here's a good point of reference for us. If we're not trustworthy, God won't trust us with his power because this is not power that's used for self. This is power that's used to build the kingdom of God. It's God's power as it flows through us. All we can do is be available to him, full of so many elements here, Stephen is, that it causes us to step back and to rethink how we approach our own Christian life. We don't typically address or get up and expect on any given day that what we do that day will have implications for the future. We don't think that way most of the time. We all saw the headlines and heard the news stories. 
recently of the schools shooting at North Carolina, University of North Carolina, Charlotte. And the heroic work of Riley Howell, who when the shooting started ran and tackled the gunman. Probably authorities tell us that he saved a lot of lives by doing that, but he gave his own in the process. Do you think that on that morning, that college student named Riley woke up and thought, today's the day I'm going to die? I suspect not. College students, like high school students and others, tend to think they're bulletproof in life, and their life is fully ahead of them. But that young man woke up that day for the last time, and he gave his life to save a few other people. So when you woke up this morning, did you wake up thinking that your behavior today might echo through eternity through the life of someone else? Do you have an eye for the future? Do you live your life with an eye on eternity? What are you full of today? Let's pray. Father, we come asking you to change our lives where they need to be changed. That may mean that we need you to change our thinking about our lives. That may mean that you need us to change the way we go about daily living. Whatever it is, we ask that you have the freedom today, right now, to move in each one of us in such a way that we hear your voice, that Holy Spirit who indwells us, who is speaking to each of us even now. Here's a spot that needs to be addressed. Here's something where you're not full of me. All of those things that you're trying to say to us now, give us ears to hear and hearts that are inclined towards obedience that you would change us. We pray even now that your spirit would be moving in the hearts of people to to trust you, maybe for the first time, to recognize their need for a Savior and for the first time to surrender their own control and trust Jesus Christ. Whatever it is that you're doing, whatever it is that we need, we pray you'd have freedom to do that right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing.